right, everyone, welcome back in. It's another episode of the Wobcast 2.0. It's yours truly, Wobby, coming to you in between Christmas and New Year's. So a holiday edition of the Wobcast here to break down the Minnesota Vikings, their unfortunate loss last week to the Detroit Lions, but looking ahead as well to another big game, another playoff-type game for the Minnesota Vikings as they prepare to host the border rival Green Bay Packers on Sunday Night Football in the penultimate game of the season. Lots to break down and discuss as it relates to the Minnesota Vikings and the NFC playoff picture. Excited to do that with you today. To help me do that is none other than my partner and co-host, Giles. We bring him in right now. Hey, Giles, how's it going? Hey, hey, Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. Thank you. Same uh, as, to you. As a holiday and football fan, nothing <laughs> is better than watching uh, good old family football on a, on a yep. Christmas Eve. Unfortunately, it looks like the Grinch showed up because uh, victory formation was not allowed afterwards. But yeah. hey, such is life. <laughs> yep, it was, uh, it, it was more of a Grinch uh, Christmas as opposed to a Santa one for the Vikings. But you bring up a good point uh, for the NFL, Giles. You know, the N- Christmas Day is sort of the NBA's territory in the past, mm-hmm. right? They usually have a, a double or triple header on Christmas Day. You know, and in the past, if Christmas doesn't fall on a Saturday or Sunday, the NFL would kind of stay away from it, you know. Um, but uh, the NFL went all in on Christmas this year with a full slate on Christmas Eve and then a triple header themselves on Christmas Day. And I have to say it was a very good experience uh, as a viewer on Christmas mm-hmm. Day to have those games. They were not only good matchups, but uh, they were spread out throughout the day in three different windows. And um, I don't know. There's something about it that I really liked, and I will not be surprised if the NFL continues it. And the true litmus test will, in fact, be next year because we have a leap year. So... You fast forward two days. Christmas will be on a Wednesday, I believe, next year. And that is the most awkward day for the NFL to schedule games. <laughs> so we will find out if they are committed to having games on Christmas. And it's a it's a tall task because mm-hmm. you're in the middle of playoff chases. So you're going to ask a team to play on a Wednesday and then have to play again on a Sunday. Um so I'll be very curious to see how the NFL handles that. But I enjoyed very much all the games around Christmas. Yeah, 100%. I'm the same way. There's just something about putting on a football game in the background while you're opening presents and having a bunch of food and family over. Like It's it's a phenomenal experience. Yeah, it was. And um, it was a little bit harder to take and swallow maybe for, for Minnesota football fans because they were suffering from a loss uh, that yeah. their team endured against the Detroit Lions uh, a day prior, uh, a game that I attended um, with the wifey. So we took it in firsthand and experienced that disappointment. Um, it was the whiteout game for, for the Vikings. So the atmosphere was, um, was pretty cool and pretty fun. And, um, everyone was dressed to the nines in their white Vikings gear. So that was very cool. Unfortunately though, the Vikings come out on the wrong end of a 30 to 24 decision and the lions therefore win the division for the first time in 721 years. Um, and you know, you had a sort of a (laughs) passing of the baton from the Vikings who, who won it last year to the Detroit lions who won it. Now this year, and, and clinch a playoff spot, the Vikings relegated to um, exclusive wild card chasing now. And a lot of different ways we can go here with this this analysis and the breakdown of the game, Giles. I have a feeling you're going to probably start where I would start, and that's um, when your quarterback has four interceptions, you know, you're, you're not going to win the game, right? So, And it um, should have been six. Like there were okay. two additional turnover-worthy plays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So I don't think the PFF data is going to be very friendly. I don't think the eye test is very friendly here to Nick Mullins um, and the Vikings offense. But let's let's try and get beyond that a little bit and and get into the weeds on some things we saw and some things we think uh, from that loss to the Lions. I'll start, um, and I'm going to go on the injury front. You know, and I hate talking about them, but I think it was particularly brutal for the Vikings. Mm-hmm. They've already had their season maligned uh, by injuries, and every team experiences that throughout the course of a season. But the Vikings have been hit particularly hard. I mean, they did lose their starting quarterback to an Achilles injury after all. Uh, But now TJ Hawkinson out with two ligament tears in his knee. That's going to put the beginning of his 24 season in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. Uh, DJ Wanham, I didn't get the details or specifics on his injury, but he was obviously carted off the field. And then Jordan Addison got hurt as well. So, yeah. You know, the, these are players that not just that hurts you to try and beat the Packers and make the playoffs this week. I mean, these are guys that you're hoping are healthy in the offseason and going into next year that are hurt, too. Mm. On top of, you know, Jefferson being hurt twice this year, losing Cousins, uh, Marcus Davenport is out. So, you know, I thought that was sort of salt to the wound to see some of those injuries happen during the game. Yeah, 100%. I mean, uh, for the exact reasons that you mentioned for both this year and next year, it's definitely a significant blow to your team and your culture for that matter when it comes to the, we'll call it the umph of trying to go win win football games. I mean, uh, TJ Hawkinson specifically, when you tear your ACL and MCL, I mean, it's not outlandish to say it could take a full calendar year to fully recover from that, which means the end of next year if it really took that long to recover. So that's a really big blow for both this year and next year. Um, I did get an update on DJ Wanham. He did tear his... uh, uh, quad, um, okay. which That's apparently terrible. he was, yeah, I mean, n- not great. <laughs> uh, yeah. Thankfully, it missed his hip flexor, which I think could have been significantly worse. Um, yeah. So, I mean, if we're looking at the upside here, I mean, this could have been worse, but at the end of the day, not a great scenario. I think he'll be out probably for the rest of the season. Um, yep. And then uh, uh, for Jordan Addison, I do believe he'll be week to week because he uh, has an ankle injury, which yep. is also not great for the rest of the season. I, I don't think yeah. he'll be in jeopardy for next season, but I mean, You've now lost two of your biggest weapons in an instant, essentially, uh, when it comes to making a run here towards the end of the season. So not a great scenario. Uh, I mean, thankfully, we still have Justin Jefferson uh, now that he's back from injury. But that's a big blow to your offensive weapon set. It is indeed. And and these are two players who actually played well against Green Bay earlier in the season, gals. They both had mm-hmm. touchdowns. And um, I think Hawkinson had 88 and Addison had 98 receiving yards against Green Bay. And this is the team you're playing this week. You're right. You, you do have Jefferson, so that helps. And you did not have him against Green Bay. Um, so, you know, that's a bonus. But these injuries were particularly uh, bad, I think, for the Vikings. And the Hawkinson one is probably the most concerning. Um mm-hmm. I'll go back to the quarterback here on my next observation, gals. You know, Nick Mullins, I thought, um, like, not just the result of the throw being an interception was bad, but the throws were not good throws. And there's two that stood out in particular. Um, One was one that Jefferson caught on the last drive. It was like, Mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to compare it to the Buffalo catch last year, but it was it was like similar. Like it was yep. a really incredible catch. It was an awful yep. double awful coverage pass. Yeah, yep. it was the wrong decision. It was in double coverage. Now you can throw it to Jefferson in double coverage. We talk about just throw it to the guy and give your guy a chance to make a play. Jefferson's that type of guy, so I I like that. But I, he did throw it into double coverage, and it was a wounded duck flying to Jefferson. It took forever to get there, mm-hmm. and it took a Herculean effort from Jefferson for him to catch it. So that was an awful throw. But 
also the last throw of the game, the interception, was an awful throw. I actually think, and I don't know if you took the time to watch it from the end zone copy, it was actually the right decision and the right time. It just was a wobbler of a throw. Yeah, and it was bad execution. It just took forever to get to Jefferson, and it allowed the defender to jump in front and pick it off. I think if that's on a frozen rope, I think it's a yep. catch at the five-yard line, and the Vikings are in business. Um, yep. So, um, you know, I thought not only did the were the results bad, but um, the quality of throws were just poor. I think you're absolutely onto something because I had two notes from the game uh, that I, I'm still parsing through as I watch the tape again. So I'd love your your opinion here. But the two takeaways that I have here are one, he plays too much hero ball. Uh, I feel like he maybe chugs a Red Bull before the game or something. Sometimes yeah. he has happy feet with his arms and he tries to force something that maybe shouldn't happen. And it's yeah. like, whoa, whoa, just take the sack, right? I'd much rather take the sack or punt for that matter versus trying to throw a ball that's going to be intercepted or kind of ruin your game, right? Um, so yep. I think he really tried to play hero ball too much. Um, but on the other side of the fence, I'm really starting to notice a trend of arm strength. Now, yeah. there are times where he can be accurate and where he makes good plays, where you're like, wow. Like, is that a decent quarterback? Do we actually have a shot here? And other times, there'll be a very precise throw required for a specific play, and he will barely lob it over to the receiver. And I'm like, I, I feel like he's either uh, like misinterpreting what's required there, which is kind of a mental thing, or he doesn't simply have the arm strength to be able to, to heave it fast enough to be able to pr uh, prevent interception. So I don't know if you've been seeing that much at all, but it's definitely a note that I took away from that game is that uh, arm strength is starting to become an issue. Well, I think it is. And I, I think that's just who he is. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, and it's why he's not a starter. It's why he's a backup. And, you know, I think mentally he's typically good and sharp. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you're right. The, what you're seeing is just why Nick Mullins isn't a starter. I mean, it's just, mm -hmm. you know, and it's why you, you, you explain some guys. It's like, ah, he can get you out of a game. You'll hear coaches say that, you know, we think he can get us out of a game, meaning our starter gets hurt during the game. We got to put a backup in for the rest of the game, but then our starter is back next week. You know, I have to rely on this guy to start multiple games for you. And mm -hmm. I, I think Nick Mullins is not a guy you want starting for you in the middle of a playoff chase, you know, um, so, and that's just who he is, but this is where the Vikings are. And this is part, part of Giles, like what I say to folks, like, you know, family members at Christmas or when we were in Vegas talking to Vikings fans before and after the game, it, you know, and they're getting, they're, they're hard on Kevin O'Connell or they're hard on certain components of the team, you know, and it's like, I can really only expect so much from the Vikings right now. They don't have a quarterback. Yep. The most important position in all of sports. Right. You know, you can only get so mad at Kevin O'Connell, right, this season. He doesn't have a quarterback. Mm -hmm. So you can get mad at Quezzy or or O'Connell for not having a better backup option if you want. That That is one thing. But And I'm going to talk about play calling here in a minute, so I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth a little bit. But you can only get so mad at, at the Vikings or only expect so much from them. They do not have a quarterback. <laughs> I mean... I know, yep. I know they literally have quarterbacks, but they don't have a guy that you believe in. And mm -hmm. so I think you have to temper the disappointment to some extent.
Yep. And I can really understand the paradigm that Kevin O'Connell's faced with because on one hand, uh, Nick Mullins does throw a lot of interceptions. I mean, he has predictably thrown interceptions throughout the course of his career. Like when you look at every game, uh, interceptions are definitely a part of his stat sheet. That's just something yeah, he comes yeah. to the table with. On the other hand, and the, and the reason why I think I can understand the paradigm that, that Kevin O'Connell's facing is that he pushes the ball down the field. He can move the ball. It's not like he is a yeah. stalemate that can't, that just goes three and out every time. And I can understand maybe the the promise of what that provides like oh if we can just limit a, an interception or two then we can win the game like he actually has some pretty amazing attributes for a backup quarterback to be able to throw the ball it's just because of the mechanics and because of what we're talking about with arm strength he is going to throw interceptions and and oftentimes it's going to be you know two through six interceptions in a game which unfortunately i mean as we as we've talked about a lot <laughs> that's going to cause you to lose the game right yes, so yes. i know you and i are kind of the opinion that maybe we should make a change at quarterback just to see what you have in the other one because although it's it's tempting to say well if we want to move the ball down the field in the most reliable way, Nick Mullins is the guy. He's also going to throw all the other things that are going to take that away from you. Yep. So I, I yep. really understand it's a difficult spot for Kevin O'Connell. Yep, it is. And they're they're doing the best they can with it, but yeah. It's it's coming back to catch him, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's biting him in the butt. Um another thing that that bit the Vikings in the butt the wrong way, penalties. I, I thought it was particularly bad. Did you yeah, you agree? Mm-hmm. Yep. So back to one I wanted, starts is unacceptable. Yep, it is. So there's a couple I wanted to bring up. Um, the Ed Ingram penalty. Do you yes. recall that one? I, I couldn't see what happened. It was toward the end of the game, and it was a crucial penalty because the note I have on it here is it was going to be third and three on the 32, but instead mm-hmm. it was because it came after a six-yard gain on second down. Yep. But the Ed Ingram penalty makes it third and 18 from the 17. And then Mullins threw a pick on like a a faux punt, basically. Like he had nothing going, so he just heaved it up downfield for Jefferson. Yep. The ball yep. got picked. A play that Mullins probably wouldn't have tried if it was third and three, right? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have called that play, and you wouldn't have made such an irresponsible throw, a desperation throw. So I didn't mm-hmm. see what happened, though, and everyone tells me or it looked like it was he lost his cool or something like that. But penalties in general, I think, were a problem against Detroit. And that Ed Ingram penalty, and then the back-to-back one that you mentioned, both really bad sequences for the Vikings. At the end of the day, I think it really emphasizes a lack of discipline on your team, right? Um, like they're not taking it seriously enough because – uh, when you look at the team last year, we were in the, one of the mo- uh, the least penalized teams in the NFL. Now, unless we have low key lost some type of personnel on the staff uh, that has you know kind of been uh, the the driving force behind that last year that we haven't seen, like yeah. I think we've just kind of slowly let that discipline kind of fade away. Cause I think uh, when it comes to anger on the field, I get you have a lot of emotion, but you can't let that cost you games. And I think I have to go watch the tape again, specifically for the Ed Ingram play. But if I remember correctly, um, he uh, pushed someone after the play was over because he was angry on the uh, the opposing team, obviously, um, which is unacceptable. Like you can't be doing that. Like if you really care about winning a game, when your season is literally on the line, like you are being selfish at that point. Right. Um, 
Now I'm maybe a little bit hard nosed more than others, but like, I think that is a benchable offense. If that continues, like if you're going to lose your cool, then we're going to put somebody else in like and yeah. motivate them to make sure they keep their cool. Right. Um, cause life is, life is all about cause and effect and, and, uh, pros and cons and there, you got to take responsibility. And if there's not a, a force that's going to keep you in check, like there's no reason that they're going to stop that. So I, I really hope they can get the discipline under control, especially when you're at Ingram. Yes. <laughs> right. I mean, especially it, when you're at Ingram. I, I mean, like, if you're, you're Justin on the bubble Jefferson, in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're a, a star player and you do that, you know, you pull the guy over, you put your arm around him, or you do what Andy Reid did um, the other day and you just give him a little shoulder bump, right? Like a little, yep. like, hey, buddy, like, come on, man. Yep. Like, you know, yep. you do, that's what you do to the star. If you're at Ingram, you get benched. I mean, <laughs> you know, this, we don't, you're already barely good enough to play and now you're causing us 15 yards after a play. I mean, come on. So and yep. I gotta um, have a time. Yeah. Uh the the last thing I was gonna sort of nitpick um was a play call, or I guess okay. maybe a, a philosophy. And it was the field goal that they kicked late in the game. Hmm. That to me was sort of a significant bummer that they had to kick a field goal in that spot. Now it was mm-hmm. in, you needed two scores anyway, and even with a field goal, you could still win. So in theory, a field goal on that drive is not a killer, but you got inside the 10 and had to settle for the field goal. And I think that was a really big letdown. Um, and to me, in that situation, you really got to consider it four down territory, Giles. And when you know you're in four down territory, you can call plays in a different manner than you would if you're in three down territory and really it means you've got an extra down in there where you can maybe try to run the ball yep and i think in general in the game but in that moment in particular the vikings had no desire or discipline in running the ball and i think it made it easier on the lions defense over the balance of the game that they didn't even have to worry about run fits um i think they finished with 11 rushing attempts Mm-hmm. And I would just like in that sequence of plays, I'd like there to be a run in there, whether it's on third down or first down. I'd like to see a run. Yep. Um, and I thought the result there of a field goal in that moment was very disappointing considering they had driven inside the 10 yard line. A hundred percent. I completely agree. I think it really emphasized Kevin O'Connell's mistrust of both our red zone offense, which has not been good this year. Once we get Uh down into the 10, like things really start to fall apart. And I think he hasn't found a way to get that back up and running, but also a lack of confidence in our run game. Like he was seemingly scared to call run plays. I mean, we ended the day at a 1.5 yards per rush attempt which is yep. abysmal. Like that is very, very, uh, very, very bad. So something needs to change there in terms of play calling and your, your schematics of how you're going to make that happen. Now I do think, you know, when it looks, uh, when you, when you look at our personnel, Ty Chandler was obviously the starting running back. I think he is a guy that is sometimes misperceived. I think some people look at him and call him a really fast guy that has a lot of upside. And I think yeah. I don't, inherently disagree with that but i also see him as someone that's maybe a little bit selfish like if you're looking at the play calls when it comes to uh, kind of our our run schematics for our offense yeah. uh we run duo a lot where you're obviously gonna either run uh, up the gut or you're gonna go around the uh the outside and uh duo in my opinion is designed as as a way to get three yards up the gut like it, it's a predictable way to get three yards that is on your your call sheet because you need to specifically get three yards now yep. if the defense lines up and they stuff up the middle pre-snap and you see that and you read that then it's a, a kind of a, a call to run on the outside and 
there's a lot of scenarios that call for us to run up the gut, but Ty Chandler cho- chooses to go on the outside to try to see if he can burst a huge run, which is him, in my opinion, being a little bit selfish. So I don't know, you know, if behind the scenes, Kevin O'Connell's a little upset with Ty Chandler and is like, all right, if you're going to do that, I'm not going to run the ball because we don't have any other horses in the stable to be able to produce a good run game. So I don't know if that's a cultural discipline thing that's bleeding out on the field, um, you know, that that's happening behind the scenes. And now it's in front of the, you know, on, on the stage. So I do think that needs to change and change quick if we do want to turn this season around and still make the playoffs. Yeah. Very uh, astute observations there, Giles, on the run game. And, you know, the other thing I'll say that something you said that reminded me, something I always observed in the NFL was, and not just with the Vikings, uh, but with, with all teams, is teams that are good at running the ball have a better chance of having a good red zone offense. So there's mm-hmm. a correlation there with how good are you at running the ball and then how well do you perform in the red zone? Because the yes. field is condensed. It's a smaller area. It's harder to execute well in the passing game. It's harder to get guys open because the defense has less field to defend. Mm-hmm. Right? So um, when you can run the ball effectively, you have a better chance to be good in the red zone. So it stands to reason that since the Vikings are not running the ball well at all, they're also not performing well in the red zone. So that is absolutely an area to fix uh, this offseason for the Vikings. You, you know, you focus on the run game, and then your red zone success will follow. Um, mm-hmm. That was a moment in the game, though, there where I was, you know, I'm in the stadium, and I'm like, oh, my God, you got to settle for a field goal here. You know, and I get it. You, you needed two scores anyway. Mm-hmm. But you just – when you're down two scores and a field goal can help you and it was a 44-yard field goal, you just feel better about that than, you know, the 24-yard field goal, you know? Yep. You know, it kills the momentum like when it comes to your team and their oomph to go to go score and tie up the game. Yep, exactly. And and look, the Vikings were pushing the ball down the field on the final drive, and if they needed a field goal on that drive instead of a touchdown, I mean, you're calling plays differently, you're taking fewer risks, right? So mm-hmm. I thought that was a key moment in the game that didn't go the Vikings way. So those are some of the things I wanted to nitpick. Um, anything for you from your notes from the game? Um, I think just kind of a, a higher overarching uh, look. The Lions are a really good team. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people look at this and say, oh, we got beat by the Lions because either they haven't been paying attention to football or there's just kind of a preconceived distaste for the Detroit Lions. But the Detroit Lions are a great team. Now, are there holes yeah. in their team? Just like every other team in the NFL, of course. Um, there's no perfect team in the NFL because every team has the same amount of money to play with. But at the end of the day, they have built a pretty darn good roster. I think give them one more offseason to add another slew of you know one or two more impact players. And they're going to be... if. If managed correctly, which is a big if, they could turn into a, a fairly decent dynasty like the the 49ers when it comes to their stoutness. Because not only are they stout at a lot of positions, they're also one of the youngest teams in the NFL. So, yeah. I mean, they're quite phenomenal. Like I was talking to a, a guy out of Michigan who uh, like absolute like monster house Lions fan, uh, uh, Steve yeah. Terrell. And he was saying that I think the Lions are going to go to the NFC championship game this year. And he's like, I think they'll lose, but they're going to make it to the NFC championship game. And then potentially from there on out, we're going to be Super Bowl contenders because he thinks this is like we're one year away from being consistent contenders. So we'll see what that looks like. But the Lions are a good team. I think we need a 
potentially give them more respect than you know some uh, Vikings fans give them because they've they've built a decent roster and they've gotten behind Dan Campbell. I think he's put in a lot of different efforts to make sure that they have gotten better at some of the areas they were more deficient in. So, um, you know, as a football fan, I like to see them improve. Yeah, the, I think they're in the enviable position, Giles, where some of the harder ones to get right on your mm-hmm. roster, they kind of got it in the going in the right way, yep. like offensive line, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you always want to add good players at every position group, including offensive line. And so if they see a good offensive lineman in the draft or free agency, they can go scoop them up or whatever. But that's a, they're, they're kind of good there, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. they can kind of look at some of those luxury positions like a wide receiver two that they love. You know, they yeah. could go, go get one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a really fun weak side linebacker or, mm-hmm. you know, um, a, a sexy safety in the draft, right? Like the, mm-hmm. every now and then there's like a, an amazingly talented athletic safety and mm-hmm. detractors will say, you don't really need safeties in the NFL anymore. And you can kind of get yep. by with guys. You got to stay on the outside with corners and pass rushes, but it's like, Oh my God, the safety is so athletic. Yep. Like, the Lions are in a position where they can kind of look at some of those luxury positions because they've done such a good job. Um, I think it'll be very interesting what they do at quarterback. Not that they're going to replace mm-hmm. Jared Goff anytime soon because I think yep. he's playing well. And they did draft Hendon Hooker last year, but they were a sneaky first-round quarterback team last year, and then they didn't do it. They ended up with Hooker, but he's you know 25 mm-hmm. or 26 years old. Yep. I could see them being in the mix for one of the better quarterbacks. Um, you know, after that first wave of quarterbacks, they could be in the mix for. So they're just, and that, again, that's a sort of a luxury position. But I mean, 58 guys have started at quarterback this year in the NFL. So it's kind of almost a vital position to have a, a second quarterback. And oh the Lions goodness, are in yes. a position where they can go after and get one. So um, yep. doesn't seem like they're a one and done division winner like they're going to be contending for a division titles here in the foreseeable future so i do agree with you that they're a pretty solid team and um you know dan campbell was sort of chided for his um press conference his first one as lions head coach but kind of everything he said (laughs) is kind of coming true yep right yeah Yeah, gonna rip people's kneecaps off (laughs) yeah yeah so you gotta kind of respect him for that as well so yeah definitely built a good culture over there yep yep um all right, I uh, let's move on to PFF stuff. Unless you had anything else from the game that you wanted to talk about, let's do it. Okay. Um, you know, I love the guessing game. You know, you you always have me guess <laughs> who was who was the top five on each side of the ball. But I had a hell of a time, <laughs> sort of identifying who I thought played really well on defense. So I'm afraid I'm going to struggle there. Okay. Um, there's some key guys who I typically love who I didn't love in this game. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't love Jordan Hicks as an example in this game, and I didn't love mm-hmm. Cam Bynum in this game. I thought Metellus and Hunter were good. Um, I thought Pace was good. Evans was good. And I liked Theo Jackson. So I, you know, and I'm having to go back and watch this a little bit. So I'm at more a little bit more of an advantage here because you have more of a discerning eye when you're watching it back for a second time yeah. uh, as opposed to just watching it once on the TV copy. But I thought Theo Jackson had a good accounting of himself. So those were that's a handful of guys who I thought were okay. Um, maybe maybe Jay Ward, maybe Andrew Booth as well. Um, mm-hmm. Ivan Pace had a fumble recovery, so maybe that bumped him up a little bit. But those were some guys who I thought played pretty well. 
Yeah, I think you have a, a pretty key nine here. One uh, call out that I'll mention that did not make the top five was a Caleb Evans. I think he oh, actually okay. had a pretty good day. However, he had two really bad missed tackles and a few okay. other scenarios where he was pushed to assist and really struggled. And in that way, he got benched, uh, at least from what I perceived to be benched uh, temporarily. Like, oh, you miss those. You're going to get benched here. And that's where I think Andrew Booth got a little bit more playing time uh, and, th- and things like that. So I think uh, hopefully Caleb Evans can learn from some of those things because I think he had a little bit of a red mark against him okay. after those plays. Uh, but going into the top five, uh, one guy that I think we were all hoping to see a lot more this season, which maybe we'll start to increase is Jaquel and Roy, the defensive tackle from LSU. Uh, he was fifth at a 63.6 grade. Oh, nice. um, didn't play a ton of snaps, but like at least got more in the game than he historically has and played well when he did. Uh, and then moving on to number four is our boy, Daniel Hunter. Um, you know, like he normally is, he did pretty phenomenal across the board. Uh, um, he did have a little bit of a, a rough day in the run game uh, specifically, which knocked him down to a 67.0. Um, otherwise, I think he would have had a, a significantly better day overall uh, from a grade standpoint. Uh, and he had a few missed tackles. So I think that that uh, dinged him a little bit. But then coming in at number three is Theo Jackson. Uh, good call there. He had a 67.6 yeah. grade. Um, uh, kind of in a weird trend here. He also had a few missed tackles here, which knocked him down. Otherwise, I think he would have been significantly better. He did really well in coverage, but tackling was his issue. Um, and then moving in up to number two is Andrew Booth Jr. Coming in at a 72.3 grade. Um, uh I know he's kind of had an up and down year. And I think when he played, he played fairly decent. I mean, he's not a, a world stopper, you know, a shutdown corner necessarily, but I think he's a serviceable average cornerback, which is all you can ask. Um, you know, as long as you are avoiding the train wreck categories, I will take yeah. an average corner all day long. Yep. Um, you know, I mean, if you can get a shutdown corner, that's amazing. But like, let's avoid being a train wreck, right? Um, so he did yeah. pretty well. And then coming in at number one uh, was Jay Ward. Um, wow. You know, the yeah. the hybrid safety cornerback. I uh, really like to see him. So he had an 81.9 grade. Uh, now, he didn't play a ton of snaps necessarily, but when he did play, he played very well. So I'm hoping that is more of an introduction into his future in the defense. So really excited to see that. Yeah. Yeah, I thought um, nothing... You know, defensively, I thought it was more of a, of a blah game from the Vikings. You know, I didn't think they looked as sharp as they looked in the middle of the season, but I don't think they looked awful either. So, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of, okay, whatever game defensively for the Vikings and, and from Brian Flores. Um, all right, offensively, um, I think I just, I'd go with the low-hanging fruit here mostly. Um, mm-hmm. the, some of the usuals I thought were good probably. Jefferson, Hawkinson, um, but and then the only other name I'll throw out there, I actually thought KJ Osborne uh, looked good, and yeah. it's been a bit of a roller coaster season, I think, for KJ. Some because of opportunity that he's lost because Addison has jumped up, uh, and then also just he's had some drops. I think he's had some bad drops this year, but yep. I thought on Sunday he looked good. Um, I mean, he scored. I thought he ran a couple of good routes, and he was involved at least in the game. So I, I thought Jefferson, Osborne, and Hawkinson fared uh, pretty pretty well. Won't be surprised if Oliver and Derisaw are in there, but didn't see anything like of note that makes me want to stand on the table for them. Uh, but those yeah. are a few names I thought that stood out. 
Yeah, no, that's a great point. Uh, ironically, Christian Derrissaw and TJ Hawkinson are just outside the top five at a uh, number six mm-hmm. and number seven. Uh, Christian Derrissaw had a pretty bad penalty. Um, uh, you know, that false there that knocked him down. Otherwise, I think, yep. otherwise, I think he would have definitely been in the top five. And then TJ Hawkinson, I think with his injury that, that, uh, wrecked his score a little bit and he had a little more of a rough game in the run blocking game. So, uh, I think that's definitely something to note. But coming in number five is Josh Oliver at a 68.2 grade. Um, did amazing in every category except for run. Uh, we see a trend forming here um the normal josh oliver of old uh brandon powell coming in at number four at a 72.4 grade did phenomenal in every category except for run blocking um and then coming in at number three was Dalton Reisner at a 75.2 grade. He was absolutely elite in pass blocking. He had a 90.0 grade um, okay. uh, in the in the pass blocking game, but also did absolutely horribly in the run blocking game. Um, so, so definitely something to note there in terms of trends. And then coming in at number two was KJ Osborne coming in at a 77.3 yeah. grade. Did uh, very well. I think he had a couple of drops, like you mentioned. He's had an up and down year, which is is tough for a contract year. Um, but uh, he definitely had some pretty decent showings here against the Lions, but also struggled uh, once again in the run blocking game. Uh, And uh, Justin Jefferson uh, came in at number one at an 86.8 grade. Uh, The Justin Jefferson we all know and love. Uh, He's exactly what we want. And, you know, especially that uh, catch that you mentioned earlier, like this guy is clearly the best receiver in the league and uh, no one's questioning that. Yep. You're right. Definitely noticing a trend, and that is poor run blocking performance, whether it's running backs or blockers um, or play callers. So an area you got to improve there. Um, Also thinking sort of globally as you're talking through that, Giles, I, I saw some mic'd up footage of the draft for the Vikings. Yeah. And I've definitely discerned through watching that and then through my own sort of, uh, ability to talk to people who are still there that the Jordan Addison pick was all Kevin O'Connell and KJ Osborne, I think unfortunately is sort of not really grabbed onto a roster spot next year. I think for the Vikings, he's probably a guy you let go. Mm -hmm. I I think I would just like every off season, if I was the GM, I'd, I'd give Kevin O'Connell a hall pass for a wide receiver. And mm-hmm. I'd say, you name him, I'll get him. Yep. Who is it? You know, and yep. obviously he can't say, you know, he can't say, uh, well, I want Tyree kill. I don't mean that. <laughs> I just mean like, can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I just mean like, seriously, like let's, we're, we're going to get a wide receiver for you this year. Who, who do you like? That's realistic mm-hmm. for us to get, you know? And, yep. um, with what he's done with Justin Jefferson, who he didn't pick, but he's shown that he he can utilize him. I have a feeling that the Hawkinson trade was a lot of Kevin O'Connell, and he obviously mm-hmm. has used him properly. And mm-hmm. then what he's done with Jordan Addison has been great. So to me, he's shown that he's responsible with the keys, so I'd give him the keys uh, and let him get a pass catcher every offseason. I'd love to see who that might be this year because I do think the Vikings – uh, the way they're constructed offensively, if they're going to continue to sort of neglect the run, another pass catcher would would be helpful. Hawkinson gets hurt quite a bit. He's probably not going to start the season 100%. You do have Addison and Jefferson, but you need another one. Uh, and so I, I would definitely give O'Connell the ability to go identify that guy, and then I'd do everything I could to go get him because I think O'Connell's going to know how to use him. 
Mike Evans is a free agent next year. <laughs> uh, That'd be a little expensive, but interested uh, in that. If you could find a way to get that get that under the cap, that would be a phenomenal three deep scenario. Yeah, it would be. I think like, I mean, Mike Evans would be good in every offense, every year, in every era. He's like like a, a transformational player, a transcendent player. Yeah. But what about a guy like? Do you remember Marquise Colston for the Saints? Yes. Yes. Like yep. a big physical slot possession guy. Hmm. I, I can see. Yeah. And and to me, Mike Evans is not that. He's an outside guy. Yeah. Um, like Michael Thomas. How about a guy like that? Um, hmm. When is that's, contract up? That's what I think the Vikings don't have. They have lots of explosion. They have versatility, explosion, speed. They have sensationalism on the offense with Hawkinson, Addison, and Jefferson. I don't think they have nuts and bolts, bread and butter, um, lunch pail guy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Michael Thomas is a free agent next year. I was looking. Mm-hmm. He had a couple of void years on the end of his contract, which is why he wasn't showing up for me. But uh, that could be a possibility. Uh, and he would probably come like on the it. cheap because he's had a few up and down years because of injury. But if he could maintain health, that could be an interesting option. Okay. So that's sort of what I would have my eye on there. Um, but that's a conversation for another day. Yeah. <laughs> you and I love throwing names out and then going on and looking at, you know, cap numbers and all that. We could do that till we're blue in the face. But um, that's a component I think they could look for here this offseason after they find a couple of run blocking offensive linemen, by the way. I probably should do that first. I was um, just going to say that is yeah. priority number one, in my opinion, because yeah. even when you're looking at Brian Flores's defense, I think he has done a brilliant job at manufacturing pressure this season. And he has been incredibly smart with the players that he has to confuse opposing offenses. But at yeah. the end of the day, he has to manufacture pressure. Yeah. I don't think we have the ability to create it. We we yeah. manufacture it. And I think yeah. if you had the ability to actually create pressure when rushing three or four and then you could manufacture on top of that, we would have an elite defense but we yep. don't have the ability to get push up from. so you know again we're we're, we're delving into off-season topics but i think you're totally right about that and if you were if we were on the same staff guys talking about building a roster mm-hmm. and we're just leaning on our own experiences and opinions to do this hearing you say what you said about needing to manufacture pressure with three or four guys you then to me what you need is a pass rushing presence from a defensive tackle from the mm-hmm. inside. Yep. I think if you have that, then you can get pressure with four rushers. And mm-hmm. the Vikings were able to do that with Brad Childress and Leslie Frazier as the defensive coordinator, Brad Childress as a head coach. Mm-hmm. They had Jared Allen and Ray Edwards on the outside who were great pass rushers, but Kevin Williams on the inside was a very good rusher. Mm-hmm. And that allowed them to rush four drop seven on almost every snap. Um, and so I think if you can get some pass rush presence from your interior, I think that would really help, uh, Brian Flores. To be honest, I'd be willing to take it in the first round if you could find the right guy. Sure. Yep. Like go get an elite defensive tackle. I mean, I look at first round picks, I think quarterbacks, cornerbacks and offensive tackles, but in theory, you don't need a quarterback because you'll have cousins next year in theory. 
-hmm. you've got your tackles. So you could use that on a pass rusher on the inside. Um, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be against that either. Um, The only way I wouldn't do that is if Darrell Rivas or Sauce Gardner was sitting (laughs) out there at corner. You know, you'd probably want to use it on one of those guys. Of course, especially if that is a quicker way to becoming elite. Like, because I think we've talked about this. Unless you get a corner in the top 10, they're going to be not a project guy, but like the elite ones are taken in the top 10 versus an elite tackle. There's a chance you can get that in the top 15, top 20. Uh, If you can really get a a guy that's good in the run and and can get some interior push, that is something that could be a game changer for this defense. Yep. Alrighty. Um, let's transition, talk about Green Bay, and then get everyone out of here. Um, Vikings host Green Bay on Sunday night, Giles, New Year's Eve, 7.20 p.m. Central Time on NBC Sunday Night Football. So it should be a fun one at U.S. Bank Stadium. Uh, yours truly will be there to watch the Vikings try and stay alive in the wildcard picture. The Vikings have been installed as two-point favorites in this contest with uh, a total for the game of 46.5. Vikings enter at 7-8 and eight off the loss to Detroit. Looking to stay alive in the wildcard chase, Packers enter at 7-8 and eight as well. But they come into this game off a dramatic victory on the road against the Carolina Panthers last week. 33-30 victors in that one as they stayed alive in the playoff chase and continue to chase those same two wildcard spots the Vikings are chasing. We believe the Cowboys have one of them locked up, uh, so there are two more remaining for a bunch of teams to go chase. In the NFC, the Vikings and Packers are among that crowd. One of them uh, will sort of nudge up um, and get a leg up on the competition by virtue of this win on Sunday night. Vikings won the earlier matchup uh, between these two teams in the season, Giles. That was the one where Cousins got hurt at Lambeau Field. The Vikings won the game 24-10, to a game in which... Um, Uh, Justin Jefferson did not play. And so KJ Osborne stepped up, Jordan Addison stepped up, TJ Hawkinson stepped up. Um, So um, the Vikings uh, now will have Jefferson, uh, but they will not have Hawkinson. So we'll see who can step up on the Vikings offense in this contest. You take a look at this, Giles. um, A lot of injuries on the Green Bay side as well as the Vikings side. Different quarterback situation for the Vikings. Uh, But what do you see in this contest on Sunday night between the Vikings and the Packers? I do see Jordan Love as someone that is starting to come into his own. Uh, I don't want to say he's a guy yet, uh, but I think when you look at the Packers that we played before, they are not the same team. I think they have figured out a way to solve a lot of their deficiencies and become a productive team. I mean, heck, they're still in the the uh, wild card race just like we are. There's a chance yep. that they make the playoffs and we don't. Yep. Uh, so I think this is definitely a big matchup, but I think they've found a way to, to survive here uh, with this. I mean, they're not a, a team that's deficient of, of talent, so I think... We'll both on offense and defense, they got some guys. I mean, are they the most talented team in the NFL? No, uh, but outside of the injuries, I think they've been able to produce a pretty decent season uh, with love under center. So I, I'm really interested to see how much our game plan gets adjusted here because, uh, you know, with, uh, with DJ Wanham being out, our ability to get pressure on their offensive line is going to get a lot more difficult because now we simply have Hunter. I, I'll be really interested to see who we start at uh, Ed Rusher on the other side. Uh, from Daniel Hunter, because I do think that the offensive line is is in a more deficient posture than it has been in years past for the Green Bay Packers. Um, but I do expect that this is going to be an issue uh, for us to be able to generate pressure, which I think Love is going to be able to exploit. Yeah, I, I think you're right about all that. And then I think adding a layer on top of that, Giles, is I think the Vikings are hard-pressed here to answer scores quickly like 
with Matt LaFleur and play design and t- the talent that Jordan Love has, they can strike. Mm-hmm. Now, I do believe that they're going to be down a playmaker or two on offense, so that's going to hurt Green Bay as well. Mm-hmm. But in a scenario where Green Bay stacks you know, two scores together or three scores together and the Vikings need to respond and, and do so promptly, I think they struggle there. Mm-hmm. Um, with no Hawkinson, uh, with their quarterback situation, probably Mullins, maybe not Mullins, maybe Hall, either way. I just I don't love the Vikings there, and I don't see explosion in the running game to bail you out either. So mm-hmm. I think you're totally right with what you just said, and it's it's sort of exacerbated by the fact that the Vikings don't have like a quick strike capability. It's crazy mm-hmm. to say that because they have Justin Jefferson, who can score at any time. But I'm not I'm not feeling great about the delivery. I feel great about receiving it. I don't feel great about the delivery and. I think that when the Packers are sort of clicking, if you're not pressuring them and making Jordan Love uncomfortable, Lafleur has a chance to sort of get on a roll and put up 28 or 35 points here. And I think mm-hmm. the Vikings would be in trouble in that scenario. Yep, I completely agree. I also think they're in a position where I think they're going to sell out to stop Justin Jefferson. If Jordan Addison is truly out with the ankle injury going into this week, you know, and missing all the rest of your players, I think they might sell out to stop Justin Jefferson. I mean, what other playmaker do we have to really push the ball down the field? I know Brandon Powell has done well up into this point, but I think the the weight is really going to be on his shoulders uh, come Sunday night, uh, and we'll see how it how, how the cards fall. So it'll be really interesting. Yeah, I looked at special teams here a little <clears throat> bit, and I don't see any major advantages or 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 notable talking points um so i think that's sort of a an even matchup um maybe the vikings even have an edge there although i don't love i don't love the vikings performance on special teams overall this season i think that's another area they can look to get better at in the offseason but um to me the Vikings are disadvantaged in this matchup, Giles, and some of the more sensational parts of the game, like so, sort of some of the, the crowd-facing matchups, wide receiver, um, pass rusher, quarterback. The Vikings are disadvantaged here. I think there are other areas where they have advantages. Um, I think I actually think the Vikings' interior defensive line has a shot here to, to be okay. Um, I, I like the Vikings secondary against a banged up Packers receiving core. So I like that. Um, but those are some of the more in the weeds matchups, the things that are very easy to see the, the sort of the impactful areas of the game. I think the Vikings are hurting. And so, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, this is a huge game. This is the biggest game of the season, you know, obviously for both teams. And, um, are you, anticipating a quarterback change i'm trying to decide how i want to answer that because i'm hoping for one i'm trying to decide if i anticipate one um i think uh from what i've heard from inside the building they're taking a strong look at whether or not they should make that change and the fact that they're having that conversation says we are we're closer than ever before um and i'm just thinking through this because at the end of the day i think Nick Mullins has proven who he is. He's a guy that will push the ball down the field, but he's going to leave you severely turnover prone. And with the season on the line, do you really want to put yourself in a position to turn the ball over that much? So like if I'm playing logic here, like when you look at the upside, but also the downside, do you want that 
side of the fence or do you want someone that is unproven, but that, you know, maybe has a little bit less of a downside. Right. Uh, and that's where with this game, I'd be inclined to push Jaron Hall. And I think yeah. the fact that they're looking into that, I think, I think that they will start Nick Mullins for the first quarter. And if he throws an interception or makes a dumb play, I think they're putting in Jaron Hall. That's my prediction. Okay. All right. Yep. That's a good prediction. Um, let's stay on the prediction uh, bandwagon here and, and predict outcome of the game. Um, I, I would love to, I'm going to be there. So I'd love to see great energy, great atmosphere, a close game that the Vikings can get over the top on and win and stay alive in this playoff chase. But uh, mm-hmm. for some of the reasons we mentioned, I can't say that I see that happening. Um, I'm concerned here about the Vikings without rushing the passer effectively. I'm concerned about keeping up uh, on the scoreboard. The mm-hmm. only reason that this is not a total 100% predicting Green Bay to win is I actually like the matchup Vikings corners against Packers receivers. I like. I actually yeah. I think the Vikings are on the right side of that. Um it's just it doesn't matter if the quarterback has all day to throw. It doesn't matter if you have a disadvantage in that matchup. You're still going to move the ball down the field because you can only cover guys for so long. Yes. And that's unfortunately where I think the Vikings are. On top of that, Love has got some enough mobility to buy some time, even if there is some some rush. So I have no confidence in the quarterback situation for the Vikings, and I, I just think they get outgunned here. And I think it's like mm-hmm. 31-24, 31-27, something like that. High-scoring game that goes over, and I think the, uh, the Vikings end up on the wrong side of this one, and I hope I am wrong. Um, I'd love to see the Vikings pull to eight and eight here and, and be alive in the final week of the season. That'd be a lot of fun. So hopefully I am wrong, but I see this, uh, going the other way for Minnesota. Yep. Ironically, I think you were looking at my, uh, sheet and notes over here cause I had 31, 27 as well. So wow. I do expect okay. it to be higher scoring, but that is yep. me being a little bit optimistic thinking they are going to put in Jaron Hall. I am very high on the, the upside of what he can be now. Uh, just watch. I'll be, uh, I'll, I'll be showing the door here, you know, with the the, the yeah. wrong hot take. But I, I really do at this point think that he is the better option here. Um, I think there might be a little bit of a, a growing pain. But if you can win this game with Jaron Hall, I like the pressure that is applied during this type of scenario to see if he's a, a worthwhile player. So that when sure. you play him during the, the preseason, for example, and you measure him there, he's playing with second and third string guys. Like, give him a first-team offense to run and see how he can do. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I'd love to be able to see him with a TJ Hawkinson and a Jordan Addison to see when you have yeah. proper weapons, like you have a great infrastructure, how can you perform? Um, but I'm really excited to see what that looks like. And I think for all the reasons you mentioned, I do think this has the ability to be a high-scoring game um, because of you know uh, all the different injuries on both sides of the ball. Yep. Hey, if the Vikings can get a score on defense or special teams or make a big play there, maybe they can flip this thing on its head uh, and mm-hmm. and we'd be wrong. Uh, and, and hopefully that is what happens. But um, it should be a fun game to watch. Most certainly after a full day of football on Sunday, you're going to get Vikings Packers on Sunday night, which is New Year's Eve. Uh, so it'll be a lot of fun. And then uh, Giles and I will be back in the middle of next week to break it down and talk about it. Take a look at the NFC playoff picture and, and see what the updates are. Uh, my notebook's empty, Giles. How about you? Uh, empty over here. I'm just hoping that we can uh, squeak out a win and keep the season alive. Yeah, I hope so too. Uh, If so, it'll be fun to talk about next week and that's when we will be back. Uh, The Wobcast 2.0 will be back next week. Until then, we hope you like, follow, and subscribe the Wobcast 2.0 so you can 
uh, listen and watch previous episodes as well as ones in the future. You can do that wherever you do and follow all your other favorite football content, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and of course, we're on YouTube. Until next time, Skull Vikings, please join us next week when we break down Vikings Packers. Talk about that NFC playoff picture on behalf of Giles. I am Wabi signing off for now. Skull Vikings.